Eagles Entertainment. Our thing is uh, everybody's somebody. And, and most people don't know how well they can do something until they really test themselves. In 1976, Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia. The young coach was now responsible for one of the worst teams in the NFL. Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's what he says. That's exactly what he said. 46 years later, Coach Vermeil is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Vermeil was not an overnight success. This season on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, we're taking you through the twists and turns of his legendary career. We go back to the beginning, Hillsdale High School and UCLA. First saw Dick Vermeil as our coach in the summer of 1960 for summer practices. And it was obvious from the very beginning that this was going to be a new experience. Players win games, not coaches. We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl. To his years with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. I was taking my headset off, you know, and the game is over, I'm like this, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And I can remember Coach Vermeil on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, Len Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. Then, after 15 years away from the sideline, he returns to coach the Rams. I was so confident. This football team was unbeatable. I thought we caught some lightning in the bottle, I'm gonna be honest with you. I remember looking up and seeing a big billboard that said, good luck coach, and had Dick Vermeil's face on it. He finally reached the mountaintop, but he just couldn't walk away. I started thinking, oh God, maybe I made a mistake. And I just remember seeing this little gray-haired, white-haired man with glasses on TV, crying at the podium all the time. Every week he'd come running out of the tunnel at the end and he'd run up the sidelines and he'd always wave up to the booth to Carol. Over six episodes, it's an in-depth look at Coach Ramil's life, career, and legacy. Hear stories from Coach Ramil, Randy Cross, Herm Edwards, Ron Jaworski, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner, Dante Hall, and many, many more. If you work real hard and invest a lot of hours in getting better and you're an unselfish person and you do what you're asked to do as hard as you can do it every day on the practice field, well, Sunday it becomes just part of your personality. Subscribe now so you don't miss a minute of Return Game, Coach for Meal, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got week three of college football to break down. Again, just another wild week of football. It's good. We're going to have a lot to get into. I don't want to waste any more time. We're going to get into Saturday scouting, full slate of college action to get through. We've got Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler here to do exactly that. Game balls to hand out. We've got all of our big takeaways. You want to make sure you listen right at the top of the show. Ben, Dane, and I break it all down. Then we've got On the Clock, where Gabriella DiGiovanni is back. She once again gets to play judge and jury for Ben, Dane, and I in our debate segment. This week, we're going to debate... One of the bigger sleeper names in the uh, in this draft cycle. Who's a guy that we're not talking about in round one, 
right now in early September, but by the time we get to late January, early February, he's going to be in everybody's mock draft. We're going to debate that there uh, in that segment. Then we round things out with our scouting report where Ben and I are going to read our notes on current Eagles player. This week it's going to be uh, tight end Dallas Goddard. We're going to reflect on them and what that means for this year's tight end class and some of the players that kind of fit some of that skill set. So we'll get into all that here on the show. Uh, Again, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you can. Please, obviously, if you're not already, make sure to subscribe. But if you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. It could be a mock draft, a player you want broken down, you want us to rank a certain position, whatever you're looking for, leave it there in the question in the comment box. We will get to it in an upcoming episode. That said, uh, let's get into it. Excited now to welcome in Ben and Dane. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's keep things rolling here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler. Guys, uh, a fun weekend of college football once again. Not the the same amount of uh, high-level upsets, but still some outstanding outcomes, some great football here this weekend uh, across the nation in college or at the college ranks. Uh, let's go to our game ball. Ben, uh, you've got the first pick here. First game ball coming out of week three in college football. What do you got for us? Well, I thought it was an impressive showing from C.J. Stroud, Ohio, Ohio State, 23 of 28 for over 360 yards and five touchdowns. And I just love the way he did it. He did most of it from the pocket, only two scrambles on the season. He's an absolute necessity scrambler. He does not take off and run uh, if he does not need to. He will stay in the pocket, will go through the progressions, and literally exhaust every option in the structure of the offense before he turns into a runner. And I thought you saw that in a variety of different plays on uh, Saturday where he was working both sides of the field. You could literally watch him go through the progressions with some late down layering with some touch throws. There was a particular pass. He had the backside seam to the tight end, but he started on the front side with a pump fake. There was a run read action. He had to get his eyes to the backside and then drop it over a second level defender. There's like six different traits I liked on that play. I think C.J. Stroud right now is quarterback one heading into 2023 NFL draft. I think he's going to finish quarterback one. I think he's the most impressive, complete quarterback right now as far as ability, intelligence, size, everything you want to play the quarterback position, and that's what he does first. He plays quarterback first. That is his job, to be a distributor, read the defense, and play quarterback. He can scramble. He is athletic, but he doesn't always just get into that mode, and I absolutely love that. C.J. Stroud, really impressive game on Saturday. Obviously, uh, they, they waxed uh, Toledo. They put up, what, 70, put 70 points, I think, yeah. uh, on Saturday. Dane, did you have any takeaways just watching uh, Stroud in that offense? I mean, it's just that offense is so much fun to watch. It's, it's poetry um, on the football field. And yeah, I, I understand it was Toledo, but you can still be uh, impressed with what they put together. Um, and, and, you know, it does make it a little bit tough when you look at the talent that he's throwing to. I and mean, Marvin Harrison I, I, Jr., I, I just can't stop gushing about him. He is a legit top five, top 10 pick in the future. Uh, true sophomore, so he's not eligible yet, but. We'll be talking plenty with about him in the future, um, but that that offense is just it's so much fun. And you know they had a big game coming up here on Saturday uh, against Wisconsin. That Jim Leonard led defense, so a much bigger test compared to what they've seen, uh, especially these last two games. So very uh, eager to see how CJ Stroud holds up 
uh, against a, a much one of the better defenses they'll face all season. And talking about all those weapons, and obviously last year with Olave and Garrett Wilson, and this year it's Jackson Smith and Jigba, and the uh, the returner and Marvin Harrison Jr. And you kind of think about you know Jamison Williams having left the program. That wasn't so much because of Garrett Wilson and Olave. That was because of the down the road with the Marvin Harrison and Jackson Smith then coming into their opportunities. So just an absolute, uh, you know, just overwhelming amount of weapons, great offensive line, good run game, play within structure because they have all the answers. And it's great to see it in structure and protect himself and play organized. It is really, really impressive. And not to say he's not athletic and can't scramble and can't make those plays off second reaction outside the pocket. Do it when you need to, and we haven't seen him need to yet. And the, I know the sophomore running back Henderson uh, had a big day as well yeah. uh, on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, well, just, he, he he was hurt most of the game. It was the other guy that came in. So it was, I mean, yeah, they showed the riches. Yeah, flex flexing all their muscles. Yep. And I mean, this is a little bit of a off the topic, but maybe it's time we start talking about Ohio State as wide receiver. You, they have the most wide receivers in the NFL right now. Yep. Even a guy like Noah Brown yep. who couldn't get on the field was uh, a big, big uh, uh, contributor for the Cowboys this week, stepping up uh, with the injuries they have going on there for that offense. Uh, you know, the, uh, Smith and Jigba in the pipeline, and then next year with Harrison Jr. I mean, it, it's just uh, it's a really impressive group of receivers they've put into the NFL in recent years. It's like burnt into my brain, Dane, of this summer. Holly Rowe left one of their practices, and she stepped out of it and did an immediate report on her cell phone for social media, and it was like she just saw, like, ghosts. Like, she walked out stunned, like, that team is absolutely loaded. They are going to win it all. It was like she was just stunned and saw something like she was just kind of in shock (laughs) still. Uh, And just that really left a lasting impression, just how talented that team is. All right, well, let's uh, shut the door a little bit here on Ohio State and move on to the next game ball. Dane, who do you got for us this week? I'm going to Florida State redshirt sophomore receiver Johnny Wilson. Uh, 6'7", 235 pounds. Uh, in two seasons at Arizona State, he had one touchdown catch and never more than four catches, 70 yards in a single game. He transfers to Florida State. He had a career night uh, on Friday, seven catches, 149 yards, two touchdowns. He's getting my game ball because he was basically the difference in what was a close game. Uh, Malik Cunningham had a, a really productive game. Uh, several uh, players in that uh, Louisville defense stepped up. Um, but what Johnny Wilson was able to do, he beat everybody in the Cardinals secondary, including Kytrell Clark, uh, one of the better senior corner prospects this year. Uh, Wilson, he was awesome on one cut routes, especially, you know, the slants, the posts, he pushes his route and then he picks up speed out of his cut. Uh, and he gives his quarterback such a big target with that size, that frame, uh, has the length where he can pluck the ball, steal it from defenders. We saw that in the red zone. He forced multiple pass interference penalties uh, as they tried to stop that size. Safety, Kendrick Duncan uh, for Louisville, I, he won't be receiving a draft level grade from me based on this tape alone. It was abysmal as, as he tried to keep up. Uh, and one of the, the knocks on Wilson uh, at Arizona State was the, the focus drops, but that didn't show up in this game. So, very eager to scout him throughout this season uh, to see if he is a legit guy. But at least for this game, uh, he was a legit prospect. 
Love it. Well, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the football here, guys. I was out for most of the day on Saturday, so uh, getting back, was excited to take in Texas A&M against Miami. Uh, Texas A&M comes up with the win. They win 17-9. Guys, I don't think they win this game without Devin Shane. Uh, they're running back, wide receiver, hybrid. He goes 18 rushes for 88 yards, just under five, uh, five yards a carry, but he goes four catches for 42 yards and a touchdown. And that touchdown, you just see the burst and the juice that this guy has. We didn't really have one of these guys last year that was like that true like human joystick instant speed like purely dynamic playmaking ability I feel like you go back to the year before Kadarius Tony uh, you know had that same kind of skill set where you know it doesn't matter where he lines up he's gonna find ways to impact the game just find ways to get him the football and that's how I, again I don't think they win this game without Devin Shane so uh, running back wide receiver how are you kind of view him this guy's a playmaker uh, I love his uh, the, his electricity that he's got with and without the football I uh, I feel like I needed to bring him up here in this segment. Well, and look at what the Dolphins are doing with the speed they have at receiver uh, right now and what that meant for that team against the Ravens on Sunday. Teams are going to be looking for that type of speed. And a guy like uh, A-Chain could be absolutely one of the benefactors as teams try to you know, build similar speed in their wide receiver room. Yeah, again, it's like not even just like, oh, man, like he's fast. It's like instant, holy crap speed. Like this guy just takes off a uh, shot out of a cannon. Just a really fun player. Let's now get to our one play takeaway, guys. Uh, just one play that stood out most from the weekend. Dane, I'll bounce this over to you. Uh, so DJ Johnson um, at Oregon is one of the more interesting prospects uh, for this draft class because it's been a long road for him. Started his career at Miami transfers to Oregon, uh, bounces between offense and defense. They moved to the defensive end full-time over the summer, and he's really starting to put it all together. 6'4", 265 pounds. Uh, there was a play against BYU on Saturday where he lined up as kind of a wide nine rusher. Uh, he accelerates so quickly with his first two steps and then uses those long arms to create that momentum and convert that speed to power. He went right through the tight end, and he was able to flush the quarterback from the pocket But not only did he create that pressure and put the tight end on the ground, but he didn't end up on the ground. He kept his balance and he was able to chase down Jaron Hall from behind. So I think this this play shows all the traits, the length, the power, the athleticism. He's a little bit older for a breakthrough, quote unquote, breakthrough prospect. But he has Sunday talent, no doubt. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of track uh, how teams feel about him leading up to draft day. Yeah, he's a guy I have not done uh, much work on DJ Johnson, but I'm glad that you, I feel like you painted a really strong picture there uh, of what he can bring to the table moving forward into the NFL. Um, for me, I think that it's just like it's got to be the play of the weekend, right? Uh, and is this in like a specific prospect? Uh, it's more just uh, look at this the story for Appalachian State so far. You go, you take UNC down to the wire, you beat Texas A&M on the road last week, top ten upset. Then you get College Game Day to come to Boone, North Carolina possibility there for like the home hangover and they almost lose this game to Troy two seconds left in regulation you're down by two from your own 47 yard line Chase Bryce who by the way he's been on a hell of a journey as well when you look at where he's been and you know who he's thrown passes to over the course of his college career Um, but he heaves it downfield the redshirt freshman Dalton Stroman he does a nice job this kid's six foot four leaps up and helps knock it backwards Christian Horn catches the deflection and sprints into the uh, the right pylon for the go-ahead touchdown if you have not heard the game call from Appalachian State Radio 
Stop what you're doing right now. Like, pause the podcast. Come back to it in 30 seconds after you go and search for the radio call. Just outstanding. Uh, just really, really fun stuff. Um, you know, from Appalachian State, they come up with the win. But I feel like uh, this is going to be one of the plays of the year. It's going to be, you know, like uh, on every highlight package from the 2022 season. I feel like we have to talk about it. Big win there for Appalachian State. Ben, I'll let you uh, take us off. Well, I thought the Penn State-Auburn game was interesting for a number of reasons. They really uh, put it on Auburn out there. Impressive performance, both sides of the ball and Penn State's got some prospects I think we need to kind of introduce to the nation uh transfer edge rusher Chop Robinson's only a true sophomore came over from Maryland but he's on an absolute tear so far but redshirt sophomore Brenton Strange is an interesting tight end h-bag u tight end prospect he's a little undersized like 6'3 245 usually that second tight end actually leads the team in receiving right now more than Parker Washington more than Mitchell Tinsley as well but on one of uh Nicholas Singleton's big run early third quarter 30 40 yard run that really swung the tide there to start the second half Brenton Strange absolutely pancaked an outside linebacker defensive end who I believe is a highly touted young four or five star pass rusher yep. in the SEC out there that really wowed me yeah a little bit of a hand behind the back there but I don't care finish your block absolutely put him into the turf so Brenton Strange we know about the long line of Penn State tight ends over the past five, 10 year, pumping a lot of high level players into the NFL, taking the torch from Pat Fryermuth now with the Steelers. But Brenton Strange out there wearing 86, really good player and looks like a uh, nice prospect, not only in the pass game, but the run game as well. Yeah, Brenton Strange is a guy that uh, I think we profiled him in the tight, in the Big Ten preview back in the summer as a guy I was excited to see. Uh, that They've been churning out uh, guys on the offensive side of the football, big-time athletes, but good to see him uh, doing some work at the point of attack as well there, Ben. Uh, let's now get into our future studs, a guy that's ineligible here for 2023, but someone to just file away for the future. And uh, Guys, the, the other game I was able to kind of keep an eye on close here, Michigan State and Washington. Washington just they boat raced Michigan State out the gate. It was like before you blinked, it was 24 nothing, 27 nothing. Wasn't really expecting that there from the Huskies. But a big reason why the uh, young receiver Jalen Polk uh, for Washington listed as a redshirt freshman. And so I was excited. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, this is an easy one, slam dunk. Did a little bit more work as I was uh, getting ready for the podcast like an hour ago. He's actually a redshirt sophomore. He started his career at Texas Tech, and so technically eligible here uh, for this uh, for this for this uh, NFL draft. But I, I digress. Let's get into the performance here from Polk. Six foot two, hundred ninety nine pounds. This guy can scoot. I mean, six catches, one hundred fifty three yards, averaged over twenty five yards a catch. Three touchdowns against the Spartans. First one came on a slant in the red zone. Another one came in scramble drill in the high red zone. And then the other one was a, a deep vertical route. It was a little bit of a throwback play, 53 yards to the house. He's got two things. He's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of swagger. He just he plays the game the way you want your alpha receiver to play. I'm excited to watch more here uh, from Jalen Polk, who, by the way, Michael Penix Jr. balled out this past week against Michigan State. He looked really, really good uh, in that game as well. So we'll see if the uh, the super senior quarterback can help uh, bring along this offense with some, some young pass catchers in that group, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple youngsters around college football uh, creating some big headlines. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. was on the receiving end. A lot of those C.J. Stroud passes in a variety of ways, but I feel like that's already uh, been over-discussed at this point. But LSU was able to take one of their young five-stars kind of out of the package and have a great debut game uh, against Mississippi State, and that's Harold Perkins, who's a 6'2", 220-pound, undersized 
ball of lightning linebacker out there that covers a lot of ground, was also a prolific running back in high school, but seems like he's uh, got a nice home on the defensive side of the ball. A lot like the way Devin White transitioned from Mm. being a dominant high school running back to uh, just all over the place, off-ball linebacker, five tackles, two sacks against Mississippi State, just got to LSU in like February, March or something. So young kid, this was kind of his signature debut performance. I think he played a little bit against Florida State two weeks ago, but um, Harold Perkins out there looks like a really nice player for LSU. Yeah, it's good for them because they they lost some pieces up front. So the young, who's the the young five-star kid that we were gushing about in the summer that got hurt uh, in week one or maybe even a preseason camp? Uh, the kid's single digit defensive tackle, kind of a hybrid player. Uh, uh, Mason Smith. Yes, Mason Smith. Thank you. Um, yeah, so getting some pieces in that front seven back, uh, playing at a high level is big for that program. Uh, Dane, uh, who do you like here for your future side this week? Well, there, there's only one player in college football who is averaging double-digit carries per game and also 10-plus yards per carry. That's true freshman uh, Nicholas Singleton at Penn State. Penn State, yep. 124 yards, two touchdowns against Auburn at Jordan-Hare on Saturday. And, I mean, I, yeah, he's a five-star. He was the number one running back in, in the in the class uh, this past uh, February. But it's still impressive to see such a young player prove he belongs this early. Uh, he looks like the real deal. I mean, you see power, you see the speed. Uh, you know, he, he works really well in concert with the blocking scheme. So it's going to make for some really fun games in the Big Ten East the next two months. Uh, I mean, you look at, I mean, Ohio State, obviously, but I mean, Michigan's undefeated, even though they haven't played anybody. Um, Indiana's undefeated. Uh, Rutgers is undefeated. Michigan State has that one loss to Washington that you talked about. So that Big Ten East, uh, there, there should be some really fun uh, battles here coming up here uh, the next few months. And on the other side, I don't know that there's anybody ranked at this point on the big in the Big Ten West, and so that makes yeah. uh, it's a little bit sloppy there uh, in that conference. Uh, guys, last category here: our film room recap. Just a player that uh, we've studied on tape over the last week or so that we want to bring to the table. Uh, ben, you can kick us off. So I want to talk about uh, one of these Alabama defensive backs that seemingly make their way into the NFL in the top 50 every year. He's a bit of a hybrid one, and Brian Branch, who's kind of a safety nickelback. And just to kind of put a headline on this. I think he's really this year's Dax Hill, an incredible hybrid athlete in the middle of the field that can play a variety of different positions. I really feel like Brian Branch could go play corner. He could go play free safety. He could play too high. He could play dime linebacker. You want him to race a tight end of man coverage or a slot receiver? He can do all those. So I think that's what you're getting with a Brian Branch. And this isn't a hulking 6'3", 225-pound Derwin James do everything. This is a six foot, 195 pound do everything, much like a Dax Hill. Yep. But I think he's going to run in the high four threes, low four fours, and uh, showing up on the freak list for over 22 miles per hour kind of confirms that. But this is a very interesting pound for pound kid, and that he's very strong as well. Some very freakish uh, power lifting uh, metrics as well, detailed in that freak list article by our buddy Bruce Feldman. But nickel safety type of player. He's thin, he's wiry, explosive blister, explosive movement patterns, really tough taking on perimeter blocks. He's not a thumper. He's not a thumping tackler, a bit of a drag down guy, but he gets there with speed he loves to fly through ball carriers not great triggering or clicking close and off coverage a little bit tentative at times but once he sees it he will go in a hurry and he can see that in the blitzing you can see that in some run support from depth as well having a really good start to 2022 the first three games as a full-time starter last year as well um, also a big special teams contributor just finding different ways to use that athleticism and toughness in space so brian branch just a kind of a quick profile right there but 
but I think a cream of the crop as far as what you want hanging out in the nickel position right now for defensive coordinators, that he's not just a pure cover nickel. He could do a lot of different things for a defensive scheme. So uh, maybe not the size profile you would want in that player, but very strong under those pads. So uh, don't look at that six foot, 190 pound frame and think he can't hang up. It's always just fun to learn. You know, we've talked about the Ohio State receivers, and we've just talked about a Penn State running back. You mentioned Alabama DB. It's always fun to learn like who's next, and like those groups where they, you know, you have a team in position that just has a lot of success, and it feels like Branch uh, going to be next in line there. And that Alabama and Malachi Moore's in that conversation. Yeah, right, exactly. and Demarco Helms, and we know and about Jordan about Battle. Who are these like, guys? Are like the blue chip guys, and who are the guys that are going to be like mid to late round UDFA types? It's just fun to learn. Just about to those call guys. it right now, I think Brian Branch is way ahead of Malachi Moore. Yep. They're very similar. One wears 13, one wears 14. They're like spitting images size-wise. They both play hybrid interior nickel star positions. More, way inconsistent tape last year. Tons of misassignments, eye violations, busts. Actually, he was benched at one point in the season. So Brian Branch, they look similar, but Brian Branch is a much higher level prospect in my opinion. All right, well, let's get to, uh, to Dane's pick here. Dane, who do you like your, uh, who, who have you done some work on in the last week? Yeah, no, real quick, just to piggyback that, I, I, I'm in total agreement with you there, Ben, because uh, 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 there's a big difference between Moore and Branch. And Branch, he came in at number 26 uh, on my top 50 board because of exactly what you were saying, all the versatility. And I wrote down Dax Hill. I wrote down Javon Holland. Uh, you know, these guys that have the versatility to impact the game in so many ways. So I, I love that pick. Um, for me, I, yeah, I've been pretty underwhelmed with this year's senior linebacker class. Yeah, Henry Toho is a good player. Jack Campbell's fine. Uh, But I've been studying a lot of these senior linebackers the last week to really find, okay, who are these other seniors who have a legit chance to be drafted in the first four or five rounds? Uh, And one of the guys who I really like and I think has a chance is Indiana's Cam Jones. Uh, Average size, he's 6'1", 220, but one of the best run defenders in the country. Patient eyes. I love the backfield vision. Love his read-react. He has the quickness to avoid climbing blockers. And as a tackler, one of the most violent point-of-attack guys in college. Uh, It shows up over and over again on tape. 13 tackles on Saturday against Western Kentucky. It also helps that the coaching staff just loves the guy. So don't be surprised. Cam Jones from Indiana. He's a player that I think we'll start to hear more and more about as we get closer to the draft. I love it, Dane, because Ben and I just looked at each other like, no idea. I've, I've done no work on Cam Jones, so it gives us uh, gives us some homework to do uh, over the next week, which, speaking of which, it kind of fits the theme for my pick here because we had Jim Nagy on the podcast last week, and he, he mentioned Georgia Tech defensive lineman Keon White as a guy that uh, you know people in draft media maybe aren't as high on right now, but NFL teams are buzzing about. Keon White, Georgia Tech. I said, oh, I've got time. Let me buzz through some film. Uh, so I did Keon White just one game, so it's a little bit of a, t- a little bit of a taste here going up against Clemson. And that was the game uh, that Jim had cited. Six foot four, 283 pounds. And this guy lines up up and down the line of scrimmage. You'll see him out wide as a defensive end. You'll see him inside the tackle. You see him over the guard, uh, wired into the snap count. He's got explosive traits and he's got everything you want as an interior disruptor. Fast first step, fluid lateral movement, outstanding flexibility and cornering ability, especially for a guy that big. And he's got power to push the pocket. Good bull rush, both off the edge and inside. And they're equally effective no matter where he lines up. That's what you're looking for. You have the athleticism and power. I think he still needs a little bit 
bit of refinement with his hands, but overall, the, the traits are all there for a guy that, again, has only been playing defensive line for a couple of years. He started his career as a tight end at Old Dominion, then made the move to defensive line, then transferred up to Georgia Tech. This guy is violent on contact, uses good technique, just gets stuck on blocks a little bit longer in the run game, has some missed tackles. He had the injury last year, so there are some things to clean up. I think each team is going to look at him a little bit differently. What is he? Is he going to be a big end? Is he going to be a guy we want to develop into a three technique? Again, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Teams are all looking for players like this. And some of the guys that I think are in that hopper, uh, you know, I've mentioned like a Milton Williams type, but I think you look into Camp Sample coming out of Tulane a couple years ago. Tano Passigno coming out of Villanova was a second-round pick by the Kansas City Chiefs. He's still kicking around as a kind of one of those inside-outside guys. John Franklin Myers, the contract he just got with the New York Jets. I think when you look at these kinds of players – they are very, very useful pieces for defensive fronts, and I think that uh, Keon White has that kind of skill set. So I uh, just wanted to kind of follow up after Jim highlighted him last week, did a little bit of work, and he's a guy that uh, I'm really high on. I'm excited to do a little bit more work on down the stretch here, Ben. And two guys, Cam Jones and Keon White, both with their fifth years in the programs or yep. fifth years playing college football, so they should be NFL-ready as far as body type, experience. Let's see if they have the traits and the kind of testing metrics to get you excited. No doubt. Well, uh, guys, we've got three more players to hit on. It's now time to welcome in Ella. Let's go to On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, as we now transition to everybody's favorite segment here on the Tuesday edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast, it's now time to go on the clock as we welcome in Ella Giovanni. Ella, uh, take us through the topic this week and what we're going to hit on. All right, guys, I'm excited about this one. So Will Anderson, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, we know your names. We got it. Okay, but going into the beginning of the college football season, let's talk about sleepers. So when the confetti's falling down in January, what's a guy that we're not hearing much buzz about now, but he'll be climbing the draft boards in January? Yep. So the, the way I kind of thought we could couch this would be, is there a guy that right now is not in mock drafts or not in many mock drafts and not a commonplace uh, first round moniker, but uh, by the time we get to the end of January, he is in everybody's round one mock draft. And uh, so the order this week, Ben, you will do the honors this week. You're going to lead off. I will have the second pick and Dane, uh, you will have the third pick. That third pick has won each of the last uh, two weeks. Two and we'll zero. If, uh, if, if, if that follows through here, Ella. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you guys are good, we'll uh, we'll kick it off. We'll kick it over to Ben. So Ella, I feel like every year, late in the process, somebody on the offensive line sneaks their way into the first round conversation. Whether it was Tulsa's Tyler uh, Tyler Smith last year going to the Cowboys in the first round, Christian Darisaw first round of the year before out of Virginia Tech. Listen, Virginia Tech Tulsa. They're not competing for the college football playoff. They're not often the ranked teams, the sexy teams on your TV on Saturday. So that's why these guys get a little bit behind the eight ball as far as buzz. So I think I already have this year's version of Darisaw and Tyler Smith, and that's Syracuse left tackle Matthew Bergeron, who's a three-and-a-half-year starter, little right tackle early on, but 30 straight starts, mostly at left tackle. And Ella, he is 6'5", 325, strong and athletic. This kid looks the part. He looks like Tristan Wirfs out there. He looks like Darisaw. He is a well-built kid with massive frame, length, thickness, yet really quick feet and good lateral quickness off the ball as they ran a lot of zone last year. Now more power schemes where he's moving people off the ball. They love to work in the screen game. He can play in space. Oh, yeah, we talked about Sean Tucker a lot in this podcast, running back Syracuse. Dane just could not leave him off his running back uh, rankings. 1,500 yards last year. 
Well, someone's paving those alleys for him. And a lot of that was Matthew Bergeron at left tackle. Big Miles Murphy, defensive end Clemson, no sacks last year against them. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State, you know, wow on the scene last year, first round pick to the Jets. Zero sacks last year against them. Also zero sacks against Iki Aquanu. So the two NFL-style tackles Jermaine Johnson faced was shut out, in my opinion. So I really think Matthew Bergeron is one of the best tackles in the country. Just not in the discussion right now with the Paris Johnsons and, you know, the other cream of the crop, the Skaronskis at Northwestern right now. But I think he will be when it's all said and done. Another thing working against them, he's from Canada. He was the number two player out of Canada in 2019. He didn't have many offers despite the Division I offer from Syracuse. So just his buzz and his kind of prospect profile is a little bit underdeveloped. But put on the tape, this kid's a really good player. I was curious to see how Ben was going to perform today going first. I will say he's yeah, going to he can clean up after everybody else. I, I will say, I will say, Ella, if, if history proves itself again today, I would think that uh, – Ben will find ways to sneak in his jabs against uh, my pick and Dane's pick. Throughout I don't the know of the other two picks, though, Ella. So I'm going to have to do some quick Googling, some quick, you know, dig down deep into my thought process to pull out some some ammo here to to pull down my competitors. Yeah, if there's one thing, I mean, you, you, you're definitely a member of the Haters Club. You, you'll, you'll, I have a whole a research team back here ready to fire away <laughs> the second I hear these names. So let's get it going. All right. So with that in mind, I can uh, I'll, I'll go here with the next player, and that's going to be a pass catcher in South Carolina tight end Jaheim Bell six foot three 230 pounds so not your typical tight end build but we've seen some tight ends go in round one in years recent years uh, Evan Ingram coming out of uh, Ole Miss probably the most recent but I think when you look at Bell number one he's an outstanding athlete he's going to go to the combine pro day whenever he comes out and he is going to blow the doors off the physical workout and so that is always a great way to kind of build buzz he is an outstanding mismatch piece he can line up in the slot he can play out wide he can play as a wing even as a fullback L they handed him the ball on like uh, just fullback dives and he's taken it to the house like 50 yards last year. He's got a bunch of carries already this year. So I think when you look at his versatility, his athleticism, outstanding speed to run away from anybody on defense and just a very reliable pass catcher, never puts the ball on the ground. But one thing that really stands out to me, and this is where I think kind of sets him apart from other tight ends. He's got outstanding ability to create with the ball in his hands, yards after catch. And to me, looking at at tight end successes over the course of the last decade or so, coming from college to the NFL, I feel like yards after catch per reception is just a good marker for me, just looking at tight ends that project as NFL starters. And if you just look just at the top 20 guys in that stat in the PFF era uh, who have been drafted in the last decade, and you see a bunch of guys who became starters, you know, George Kittle, Dallas Goddard, David Njoku, Dawson Knox, Gerald Everett, all these guys finished in the top 20 in that stat. So again, it's not a tell-all, but it's just a good marker for a guy that has that ability to be a mismatching weapon. And so when you look at the guys that have been, you know, really high up in that number, Hayden Hurst, who was a first-round pick, he was seven seven yards after the catch per reception, seven even. George Kittle, obviously an all-pro, 7.1. Dawson Knox, dynamic player, 7.2. Dallas Goddard at a lower level, 7.7. O.J. Howard, first-rounder, 7.8. You go down the list. List. Two guys were over 10. Where is where is Jaheim Bell? 11.6 yards after the catch per reception over the course of his career coming into this year. He averaged 17 yards a catch last year. That's damn near 12 of those 17 yards were after the catch. So again, that speaks to his playmaking ability. And I, to me, when you look at a guy that is versatile, athletic, never puts the ball on the ground, he can create with the ball in his hands, 
Well, now that's a recipe for a guy that's going to go in uh, and just build buzz along the way. He's going to have plenty of highlights here this year. It's been a little bit of a slow start for that passing game in general. They're working in Spencer Rattler as the new starting quarterback. It's been a little little bit up and down. He did have one catch this week against Georgia. Goes for 46 yards. So again, kind of showing the big playability there with Jaheim Bell. So um, for me, you look at his skill set. He is a first-round skill set. It's a matter of, you know, will he find the position value there at the tight end position? We had it a, a few years ago where it was like three or four guys went in the first round. It's just a matter of uh, we have to wait and see if that happens here in 2023. Dane, it all comes down to you, buddy. Okay, no pressure. Um, Get the schneid. <laughs> so if I said the name Olu Fashanu, how many college football fans, even the diehards, would know who that is? My guess is not many. So I think my guy definitely – qualifies as a sleeper uh he has stepped in at left tackle at penn state and he already is a clear upgrade over rasheed walker who was drafted this past april so fashionu only a redshirt sophomore still relatively young but all the tools are them are there for him to be a big time prospect 6'6 320 pounds length a wide blocking base outstanding body control movements and pass protection uh, does a great job anchoring down versus power. He's got strong hands so he can finish and pass pro. And as a run blocker, he dominated Penn State's first two games. And, and I was eager to see, okay, how would he hold up on Saturday on the road versus an Auburn defensive line that has several future pros? And Fashanu, he was outstanding. Uh, pass rusher uh, Derek Hall for Auburn couldn't do anything uh, on the season. He's only given up one pressure, zero sacks. The buzz from NFL scouts is getting louder and louder with this guy. It's only a matter of time before uh, you know a lot of people in the media kind of catch up. Uh, and it's not only the talent with him. Also factor in the position, all 32 NFL teams are searching for offensive tackle help. And I think that, you know, we would all agree, this is kind of an underwhelming tackle class uh, in terms of the prospects. Well, enter Fashanu, who not only has the first-round traits, he's putting together first-round tape, and then he also plays the position that NFL teams consistently overdraft, which just boosts his chances of going high uh, if he decides to enter the draft. So I promise you, learn the name Olu Fashanu because his name will start to pop up here in first round mock drafts. And listen, I, I don't need to negatively recruit. I don't need to tell you that Matthew Bergeron, <laughs> it, it, maybe not even a top 100 uh, prospect. I don't need to tell you how Jaheim Bell was in PFF's first round mock draft. So sleeper. Okay. Uh, I, I don't need to do any of that. I'm going to stand on my argument and say, Olu Fashanu, that's the guy, arrow pointing up, first round mocks, uh, it, it, he's coming. Well, it's easy to be an unknown and a sleeper when you've played just a little over 200 snaps in three years at Penn State. So he's a little yeah. unknown and under-discussed because he hasn't, the point. he hasn't played yet. So I think Matthew Bergeron with over 2,000 snaps and quality football for three and a half years just is not getting the love in combination to what he's put out on tape in production. He had Jaheim Bell a little over 400 snaps in three seasons. I have 2,000 snaps. A true sleeper in the ACC, cornerstone of that uh, Syracuse offensive line, and just not a lot of buzz on the backside. I will say, too, you know, the, the PFF mock draft that had Jaheim Bell, that was back in the spring. I just pulled up a mock draft from Pro Football Network from September 3rd that's got Fosh News. So, uh, you know, to each his own. Uh, Pro Football, never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds made up. Shots fired left and right. All right. 
first, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think this is the importance of a podcast like this because some of these players end up becoming the meat and potatoes of a roster down the line. Um, and so I think these are important discussions to have and putting those names out there for uh, fans who are following the draft. Here's my problem, guys. My heart is telling me Dane, but my head is telling me Fran. Sorry, Ben, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have, you got to follow your heart. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> that never that never serves anybody well. So, am I going tight end? Am I going left tackle? I like the dudes in the trenches. I think I'm going Dane. There we go. How are we having a sleeper for the NFL draft buzz? Is a redshirt sophomore has played just over 200 snaps in his career. He's only just started his career. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why he's a sleeper. Yeah, exactly. I have a sleeper for you. He's currently at St. Joe's Prep. He's a five-star, <laughs> and uh, he should be rising up boards before we know it. <laughs> hey, Bergeron's played a lot of snaps. We, we know who he is. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think that really qualifies as a sleeper. Ben, you'll be, it'll be your turn to go third next week and you'll get another win. Yeah, you'll, you'll, uh, be, right back in. you'll be right back on the saddle, Ben. Yeah. Your old tricks. Guys, uh, fun as always. Ella, Dane, we will talk to you both next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, let's wrap the show up here with our scouting report as uh, Ben and I take a look at Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard. He was coming out uh, of South Dakota State after the 2017 season. It was the 2018 NFL draft. Uh, Ben, you and I did not get a chance to see Dallas Goddard at the Senior Bowl that year because uh, we were coming off the Eagles Super Bowl run. So that's why I kind of remember this draft class uh, very vividly. Uh, That was a great draft class for the Eagles, obviously. They trade out from the 32nd pick. Um, That was the trade that uh, they got the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, uh, and the Eagles moved down. They get Dallas Goddard. They had to trade back up ahead of Dallas because it looked like the Cowboys wanted to get Goddard uh, to replace Jason Witten. So a little bit of drama there uh, within the NFC East. But uh, let's kind of go through our uh, our notes there on Dallas Goddard, what we thought of him at South Dakota State, going back into our raw notes, and then just talking about what he's become here in the NFL. Yeah, he's a really interesting player to study at the FCS South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Who are at, it's actually a very good program. There's yeah. some really well-built players out there. Maybe a smidge behind North Dakota State, but um, they obviously wouldn't take that slander. They're a really competitive program. But Dallas Goddard coming out of South Dakota State, 6'5", 255, 34-inch arms, really good size to be a wide tight end at the next level. But actually, what didn't test in the offseason. So he didn't test right. at the combine. You didn't get to see any metrics at his pro day. I, I want to say it was a hamstring injury. Yes. I believe that he, he suffered the bench, at the senior. He bowl. did the bench press yep. at the combine. That's really it. So he was a little bit unknown. And sometimes that hurts a guy's stock and just not getting the, you know, the uh, athleticism scores and some things like that to yep. work into your metrics. But just a collective profile coming from South Dakota State, this was a pass catching weapon. This wasn't a guy that played with his hand in the turf a whole lot and just moved defensive ends in the run game. This is a big slot receiver that was really featured in their past he game. Was the, he was the number one receiver. In a variety of ways. Yeah. So sometimes he'd play a little tight to the formation. He could play out in the slot. He could play out in some Y-ISO situations as well. And this guy was a really capable three-level threat as a tight end. So they work in some quick game stuff and give him some yards after catch opportunities, some, some screen game. 
And he was a really violent runner with the ball in his hands. Yes. I think you really saw the tenacity, the physicality, the elusiveness when you just put the ball in his hands. He was a really good yards after catch tight end. What I just talked about the last segment, the yards after catch for reception. No was question. Really high. And what yeah. makes him a three level threat was his work in the intermediate and then the deep parts of the field. Yep. Where if you gave him any sort of runway to get off the line of scrimmage, he immediately threatened you vertically with speed, got linebackers and safeties to want to turn and run and keep pedaling vertically. And then he had some really good surge to actually win vertically and then snap in and out of breaks, really good head movements in and out of breaks, good catch radius, really effortless hands as well. And I felt like his play strength in a variety of different ways, whether it's, you know, getting through those reroutes, winning at the catch point, winning through jams kind of at the top of your route as well, and just making some contested grabs. I feel like you saw his strength in potential as a strong dominant player in those scenarios so you saw the the physical ability but then also like we say like a guy that's is big and plays big he played big like that's a mentality aspect as well he very much had like a power forward type of vibe to him yep where he was physical but he had some dexterity he had some ability you know kind of do a little spin move shimmy, athlete. Yeah, shimmy no shake doubt. in the post and you know score score the basketball for us too so i like that combination of physical you know frame and physical kind of tone and then your ability to produce in that package and I think a lot of the connections and the questions were how good of an athlete is he by NFL standards which you had to do a little bit of guessing game with without some of those uh, those metrics and then whether the contributions in the run game that was a big thing were a question mark so it wasn't necessarily can't do it he got hurt early in the week and so he didn't really get a chance to put that on display no question and you know that that may be some of the things are really poking and prodding in some of the team visits and that's some of the guessing game that just comes with the nfl draft and that you learn things once you get your hands on them and what i mean by that is when you already drafted them they're already in the building yep and you figure out whoa this guy's really strong i didn't know that Or, man, this guy's really smart. Or even something just not about football. This guy's really funny. He's a nice guy. Things like that. You learn about them. And listeners, for every good thing, you discover some bad things too. And we all know the the horror stories out there where, man, we, we realize this kid's not a good guy or not responsible or not a good human being. Unfortunately, it's too late and he's in our building. And that happens a lot, too. Yep, all around the league. So there's a lot of discovering the present, discovering the package once to get them. And there was a lot of that with Dallas Goddard. And I think we came out the other side pleasantly surprised about some of those question marks. So the big thing, I can remember studying him in the summer of 17, so off of his junior film in 2016. I was like, to anyone that would listen, I was like, this guy's a top 20 player in this draft. And he's like, from South Dakota State, like this tight end, like, come on, like, get out of here. I was like, the only thing he needed to get better at, I thought he needed to be a little bit more consistent as a route runner. He rounded off too many breaks, a little bit more lackadaisical, was not like a true separator. You saw the, the tools there uh, in terms of like the quickness in and out and all that. But then you watch him and he got better and better and better, especially when he got to his senior year. I thought he really developed. It wasn't like fine-tuned. Because remember, when he first got here to Philadelphia, he especially like him next to Zach Ertz, who Zach Ertz was one of the best route runners in, in football at the position. He, it was like night and day. You, you needed to see him. I remember that that first summer, uh, you would watch him every day in training camp, and you would watch the stick-nod route. And it was like, early on, he was too fast. He was too fast. He was too fast. I think he caught like two stick-nods for touchdowns that year, including the playoff game against Chicago, where uh, you, know, you just saw him get better and better uh, in that area. And as you mentioned, too, the, the point of attack, the run-blocking stuff. And I remember having Justin Peel in studio to break it down after the pick. So literally, like, draft weekend, like, all right, like, what did you see from him as a blocker? And he's like, well, 
there were very few instances where he was used as an inline player. So you go off, you go off of that, and then after that it is all play style and like just meeting the kid and saying like, does this guy have what it takes like ment- mentally and like personality wise to be that guy at the point of attack? He's like. All intents and purposes, yes. Like this guy has everything we're looking for. So you saw like a couple good reps. I mean, we broke it down, uh, you know, in studio, and then we just talked it through. And he has been everything that the Eagles could have hoped for. I mean, he's one of the best. He is one of the best, uh, most versatile tight ends in football. Easy. And walking into just an outstanding situation with a Justin Peel that had played a lot in this league yep. as a true Y inline tight end. And then to have the tutelage of a Zach Ertz to help in the pass game and the tutelage of a, a veteran Brett Selleck in the run game and yep. having guys like that around the program, I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of knowledge to kind of work your way into the NFL and really take a hybrid of the Selleck and the, the Zach Ertz, and that's who he is today. Yep, and not to mention, not just one, but two coaching staffs that were willing to incorporate him into the offense despite having Zach Ertz there. We, we, we're like, we see like there's offenses now that can barely get one touch. Kyle Pitts had two catches this week like in a win. Like, the Eagles found ways to get Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz the football for the first four years of his career. Now Dallas Goddard steps into this year as the true like number one guy in that room. Um, but I think it says a lot about his talent uh, and him off the field as well that he was willing to uh, you know kind of ride that wave a little bit and now is the featured weapon. And NFL defenses and coordinators and position coaches put Dallas Goddard up there with the you know, the George Kittles of he's the done, world. He does everything. And, it's no, only him and Kittle. That's it. Yeah, I just had another tight end in my brain as far as a strong blocking tight end. He's not the – Mercedes Lewis is essentially an extra tackle. Yeah. But the ability to contribute in multiple ways, there's another tight end I had in that. But he's very much the Hunter Henry, George Kittle. We can trust you to block defensive yep. ends. They will annihilate linebackers and safeties if yep. you give them the opportunity to. And they are very well respected, and they know – what they can do for the offense away from the ball. And I think that's what really makes Dallas Goddard an interesting two-way wide tight end and really one of the premier players that I think doesn't get enough credit for what he does away from the ball. No doubt. Uh, to me, like, and then thinking back, like, all right, what are the traits that have translated best with TJ his Hawkinson, game? TJ Hawkinson, excuse me, Hawkinson, is the other yes, one. That's yeah. a I think he's every bit the blocking and the player that yep. he is a TJ Hawkinson. I think George Kittle's maybe a step or a tier above but just collectively, he is in that conversation. To me, like, um, you know, it's the when you start having those discussions about those guys, it's the you start talking about like the height, weight, speed element of it. And it's like, all right, well, you have a guy who's six foot five, 250 pounds. He runs really well. He can make plays at all three levels of the field. And he's an inline blocker. Not you count on one hand how many guys there are in that in the league that, that fit that description that can be a primary pass catcher and do everything you want in the run game. Uh, and so when I think of like, all right, what traits translated best? It's that. I mean, as the guy that the height, weight, speed, skill set, it's everything you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to find six five, two fifty five with athleticism, play strength, dexterity, agility, smarts, toughness. It's yep. a tough package yep. to find a, you know, capable athlete in. So, the fact that he is so versatile with what he can do in that height weight skill package and, you know, my trait I think is just uh, most translatable is just that play strength. Yep. And I think you saw it in a different way in college, but you still see it on Sundays, you know, in the run game at the point of attack, finishing blocks. You know, you know, running his feet against defensive ends and then still carrying on all that stuff we talked about in the past game. 
Yeah, I, I think when you look at uh, everything he brings to the table, uh, again, you just start checking boxes and feel good about where you're, where you're at at that point. Um, when you look at the way that he's been used here in Philadelphia over the course of his career, what are some of the ways that they have used him that best leverages his skill set in your mind? Well, in his five years here, I think Philadelphia has been one of the premier run teams not just over the past two years here with Sirianni and Jalen Hurts, but with Nick Foles on the way to their Super Bowl, Carson Wentz, you know, whether it's Reich and Filippo the year before Goddard got here or afterwards, there's a strong emphasis to the run game here in Philadelphia. And that's what Dallas Goddard excels in, being a two-way tight end threat. And when I say two-way, you're not just the pass game tight end, the catch touchdowns in the red zone, like a Darren Waller. Yep. You're a guy that can survive on first and 10 in the run game. Your role to a defense is believable. We will, I will block a defensive end one-on-one. It is believable. It's on tape. So I think the fact that he is a every-down player and a true two-way threat, that opens up everything because that allows him to play every down, then be that threat off of play action and you know get all the production off of the run game. But then just being an every-down versatile player for an offense is really just a beautiful um, you know, incorporation of a talent. And that's what everybody wants. These type of Y tight ends do not grow on trees. They are hard to find. And when you find a good one, they can give your offense so much flexibility, yep. not only in the run game, but the pass game as well. I completely agree. And again, just finding ways to be able to do all of that while still having both tight ends on the roster. Uh, there were packages where Hey, it's 11 personnel and it's Zach Ertz. There were somewhere it was 11 personnel and Dallas Goddard, and you saw plenty of 12 uh, with both guys on the field and just finding ways to use both guys. So they're you know, it's funny. You see some other tight ends that maybe have more of a singular skill set, and there's yep. a lot of them, and there's some really good singular skill sets, and then they try to hide them. Yep. And like I think about the Dolphins with Mike Gesicki. We sure. know Gesicki's a pass game, you know, seam stretch guy, wants to get down the field using his speed and size. Yep. And every now and then they try to hide him in that wide tight end role. Yep. Well, the defense sees that, and it doesn't always go so well. Yes. So it's, you know, having a guy that's efficient in both phases is really advantageous and believable to a defense. I think back to a quote. There was a quote from, um, I think it was that first summer. So the summer of 2018, Jim Schwartz was giving a press conference during training camp, and he was asked about, like, the versatility of tight ends. He was like, look, versatility is not the ability to move a guy all over the place. He was like, versatility is when you can line up and I don't know if you're trying to run or pass the ball. And he was like, that's why, like, when, when our offense is in 12 personnel, I don't know if we're running or throwing. He, he was, was talking like, about 12 and 13 sets and how much awesome. of a, how annoying they were to prepare for yes. because of that. Yeah. yeah. To me, like, that's, that's it. It's not like, oh, who's the movable chess piece? Like, that's versatile. It's, being a movable chess piece, but not understand, like, is it going to be run or pass? Are they going to be, is it going to, how are they going to try to attack us? That's and, true. And when you have the Goddard to the world and you're in 12, 13 personnel and defense says, okay, we got to buckle our chin straps, get a little heavy because they might run the ball. And then all of a sudden they can beat you in different ways off yep, of that. That's it. But first and foremost, we need to say their run game, run game action is believable here. We need yes. to stop that first. Now you have the defense out of sync, and now everything else opens up off of that. And it's really tough if you have not just one, but multiple tight ends that can do that. It's a real nightmare. So after we've just spent the last uh, 10 minutes saying how hard it is to find a guy with the skill set. Plenty of them in this class. <laughs> is, right? is there anybody in college football right now that kind of, uh, you know, kind of say like, all right, well, he can kind of fit into this box? Yeah, I think there's a couple interesting ones. You know, I think Sam Laporta at Iowa kind of has that similar height, weight, speed. I don't think he, 
he's uh, nearly as proficient in the pass game and as uh, you know competitive and strong as a pass catcher. Yep. Maybe a little bit more advanced as a Y tight end right now in Iowa's run blocking scheme. Yes. Um, but a guy that I think kind of fits that skill set. Bunch so, of drops. That's the big yep, difference. It, yep. It's a little unfortunate there in the pass yep. game, but as far as being a run blocker and size, I could see that. Dalton Kincaid out at Utah. Yes. Has a similar profile. He's kind of the middling tight end. Brant Cuthy's kind of the move guy. They have a big guy as well. He's really the kind of mix of the two in that 6'4", 245 package. And then the easy one, Fran, Tucker Craft. Yeah. Out there at South Dakota yeah, State. Right. You know, Dane, who, Dane has made that comparison. No question. Show. It's too easy right now. And I'm hoping Kraft, you know, can finish out this season strong. And uh, it's a wide open tight end class. And Kraft, absolutely. We know these FCS guys squeeze into that top 50 conversation a little late in the process. Yep. Um, I think Tucker Kraft is definitely trending that way. A guy that, you know, we've talked about here on the show, and that's Georgia tight end Arik Gilbert. Uh, you know, 6'5", under 260 pounds. Again, a player that can impact all three levels of the field and contribute as a blocker. We talked about it. I was like, man, like, he's not a liability in the run game. Now, the thing is, guy uh, played a little bit at LSU his freshman year, ended up transferring out. It was a little bit of a messy transfer. Is he Where is where's he going to go next? Is he eligible to play? He wasn't last year. Uh, lands at Georgia. I mean, he was he was left. He wasn't he wasn't on the trip uh, to South Carolina this week, Ben. So, um, you know, there are things to clear up there when it comes to Arik Gilbert. You're not going to be a guy that's going to be drafted super highly if you're not going to be a, a dependable. And Kirby Smart was asked about it, and it was like, we're going to play the guys that are dependable. Essentially, uh, I'm kind of uh, you know uh, you know putting his words there. But uh, Arik Gilbert skill set absolutely there, but we just haven't seen it come to fruition on a consistent basis. And he's going to need that if he's going to get drafted that way when he eventually enters the NFL. So Arik Gilbert, obviously Michael Mayer, uh, another guy that is kind of in that in that conversation. I feel like you've done a little bit more work on Mayer than I have. Do you feel like uh, he is like more blocker than pass catcher, more catcher than run blocker? Do you feel like it's an equal blend of both? Like, uh, how do you kind of view, because I to me, like that's where it really kind of dictates what the ceiling is on his draft slot. Like, TJ Hawkinson, I don't know that a year later, you know, five years later, like, oh, yeah, like definite top 10 pick uh, because of the pass game upside. Like, how do you kind of view Michael Mayer as we see here today? Yeah, I don't think he's as strong as a Gronk or a uh, George Kittle as an inline blocker right yep. now. Um, but I think because he gives you B level blocking ability and A minus level ability in the pass game. Yep. He's an every-down threat. Again, that versatility is so important. No question. The The fact that he can be on the field every down then opens up his ability to contribute. Uh, And obviously, he's a high-level prospect. He has really good size, really good speed, uh, and is ready for that wide tight end role. Now just figuring out what level of player are we expecting to get. Um, I just don't know what he hangs his hat on kind of thing. Sure. Um, I feel like George Kittle, you knew you were going to get a blocky off the field tight end. He showed you on tape, on Saturdays, all day long. I just don't know what that chip is for Michael Mayer other than just being B plus, A minus, and everything. I don't think he's going to wow you with testing. I I haven't seen him block anyone off the field. Now, he's an efficient blocker. He's going to seal your defensive ends. He's going to cut the back sides. He's going to climb the linebackers and safeties. He's not going to wow you doing it, though. Um, So I think just being an every-down B plus player is the quality in that. Um, 
Are you getting somebody? What you're saying, are you getting a guy that is going to be like that high-level prospect? Or is it just going to be like a really reliable, every-down tight end that's going to play 10, 12 years in the league? And like, it's a matter of, we We have these conversations all the time when it comes to like offensive linemen in round one, Ben, right? It's like, all right, well, what's the, the ultimate impact? But there is a lot of value in reliability and consistency and a guy that can come in uh, and be a, a, a really good starter for a long time. Yeah, it's like if he ends up being like an Owen Daniels, or a Todd Heap type of guy? Yep. Like, is that going to excite you? Is that a good career? Like, I love those players. They yep. were awesome. They were yep. great three-down tight ends. I can stretch the seam and block defensive ends. That's what I want. Does that take that guy in the first round? Yep. Traditionally not. Yep. Um, but, you know, the Hawkinsons of the world have been working, working their way into the first rounds. The Evan Ingrams are went now number nine overall, in the first Hawkinson. round. Eric yeah. Ebron goes in the top ten. Yeah. You know, but they all had, like, a, something to hang your hat on kind yep. of thing. So just worried about where he's going to be viewed as a prospect in terms of draft capital. No doubt. Well, Ben, uh, fun discussion, as always. For those of you that missed our uh, Under the Hood segment, I just had some trouble uh, scheduling here this week. It was a weird week for the Eagles, obviously playing on Monday Night Football. So that segment will return uh, next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. But for Ben, for Dane, for Ella, for everybody here, we'll be back later this week uh, breaking all things down for next week's uh, edition of College Football. So stay tuned right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.